This is episode 11 of the Ask Dad Labs podcast, recorded on May 13th, 2021. It's simple. You ask questions and dads answer. When we need actual answers, we find the experts. Today, from Louisville, Kentucky, we have Nick, and he has kids who are 6 and 13. And we have Clay from Austin, Texas. He has three kids, one's in high school, one's in college, and one is in the Coast Guard. And I'm Ben, and I'm in the Detroit River, just south of Detroit, Michigan. My boys are 11 and 13. Let's get to the show. You know what? We forgot We forgot to do uh, May the 4th. I forgot about that. We, we didn't do anything about it. We didn't mention it at all. That's weird. Because it was Thursday, fine. and it was already passed. I'm wearing yeah. my robes now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was thinking about that. I was actually thinking about that yesterday. And I've got to admit something to you guys, because for the longest time, I thought I thought Chewbacca was a really tall Ewok. I didn't know that he was this other thing. That was such a Wookiee mistake. Man, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan. And, you know... I'm a dad, and I love dad jokes, but damn, dude. It's a it's a galactic, empire-wide disappointment, really. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> Wookiee mistake. All right. Okay. All right, speaking... Walked, I walked right into it. I just, speaking of, of rookie mistakes, our first topic today... This comes from this comes from the internet. Brent doesn't show up this week, but so someone was asking about tips for trimming a toddler's fingernails, and in that in that that's a you know that's a rookie mistake I made a lot, and we ended up with bloody finger stubs a few times. But I also forgot that Dad Labs actually had a video. I I'd forgotten that that uh, Troy had recorded a video about fingernail trimmers. We did. And, you know, one of the things about this show that's going to be, I think, really fun is going to be diving back into the archive because now these, a lot of these videos are 10 or 12 years old. And so, yes, 10 years ago, uh, maybe even 12, 2009, did, January of 2009, we made a dad labs video. We, we, we basically gave Troy his own segment, which was supposed to be gear daddy. And he was just going to do reviews of gear. And what was sort of interesting about this segment uh, to go back to is it's a, you know, Troy did a great job. It's, you know, he's, he, he found two different kinds of specifically, you know, baby, you know, nail clipper products for that he reviews. And, you know, one's got lights and one's got a magnifying glass and, and he reviews these products. But the really revealing thing is going back 10 years is the, is now the comments, you know, it's been out there for a decade on YouTube, which is sort of mind blowing to think about. And the, this video's now got 35,000 views, but really there's, there's about a dozen comments on there and the comments are priceless. And really what is on the comments is you've reviewed these clippers, but really you're kind of an idiot because you shouldn't really clip baby's fingernails. You should use an emery board because they're so fragile and daddy Troy, you really blew it. So I don't know where to come (laughs) down on this argument. Like, 
there are products out there that are specifically made to trim baby fingernails. And I remember this, the fear that, you know, on the one hand, if their fingernails are untrimmed, they are velociraptors that will peel all the skin off your face. (laughs) However, trimming their (laughs) fingernails gives you the anxiety that you're going to amputate their hands and it's microsurgery. It's basically microsurgery. So anyway, from reviewing the dad labs video, there are specialty fingernail clippers, but you should consider just using an emery board to give them a, a full, like, you know, nail experience and avoid the clipping (laughs) problem. I have an actual, even easier way to avoid that problem. Okay. And that's to make their mother do it. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, is, is it, is that, is that part of the, Oh, that's not you. Not that's not allowed. You can't. That's not. Not that's not dad, the dad labs ethos. Sorry, I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> I, I could not handle that level of stress of drawing blood on my tiny children. I couldn't do it. I never trimmed their nails. Nope, not going to do it. And just the the few times we tr- I tried the trauma, the kids ran from fingernail trimmers. In fact. I don't know that they specifically remember that, but they still won't trim their nails. You know, I've, I've bought them deluxe kits hoping that they would actually get them out <laughs> and their, their nails aren't, aren't long, but they're obviously bitten off even though they've got these really nice kits. And so that's, that's one of the things we'll address down the road, but Babies is a whole other thing. And I, I honestly blame the trauma of, of me trying to do it, but I was, I was so tense, you know, it's, it's hard. I think the emery board is the right way to go because even when you right. trim them, it leaves a really sharp edge. And so you right. still have to file those down a little bit, but the file will take enough away that you don't even have to use the trimmers. So I, I really do think that's the right way. You can, you can would, identify parents of newborns, by the scratches on their face. <laughs> it's like, oh, do you have a yep. new kitten? Did you do you have a cat in that? No, that's just my newborn because I'm afraid. Because those nails, they're so it's impossible to describe how razor sharp. This is not in the baby brochure that they come with talons and they're these right. razor sharp nails that will slice you. Right. And as we talked about, you know, we're dealing with a puppy. You guys have had puppies recently. The vet will trim the nails when we take them to the vet. So if, if the, if the pediatrician would trim my baby's nails, every time that we took would, them, we take them like every two solution. weeks. It should be. We should require pediatricians to do this. And this is genius. We need to petition pediatricians. We need to go to the national organization and say, guys, this should be a standard part of every well baby visit. Yeah, and there like, goes a sponsor. Guys, do the nails. <laughs> the veterinarians have figured this out. They do this. This is just a service that they offer. You have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, good luck. At, at the very least, I, I do think they should show parents how to do that. <laughs> at the very least, that, that should be. That is and, a question. Hey, new parents. 
That's a question. Ask your pediatrician the next time you take have a well baby meat thing. Say, hey, how do I trim their nails? Don't don't go with don't let them answer. Oh, use an emery board or oh, use these little bitty clippers. That's not bring you the emery board with you. Yes, and say, would I, you mind. How do I do this? That's absolutely right. But yeah, again, <laughs> we've solved uh, this. We've solved this tonight. It. So it's instead amazing. of instead of turning it over to mom, we've turned it over <laughs> to the medical professional. <laughs> Who better? What's what's the copay on a nail trim anyway? Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should take him to the vet. <laughs> I may try that. <laughs> <laughs> my grandkids i don't know so so okay so the next question is who trims a corgi named dave's nails i think we've we've covered this this is the problem of the vet and so okay. you know i feel like i you know i've done i did a couple well when dave was a puppy and his nails you know their their claws are so thin he stuck to the rug so <laughs> like velcro yeah, like he couldn't detach himself. <laughs> he was like getting stuck in the rug with his tiny claws. So we did have to do one or two trimmings ourselves. Oh, you didn't um, call maintenance? That's funny, man. That's funny. <laughs> that is. That's a better joke than the Wookiee mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, there is one other thing you can do with little babies. Put socks, put their socks, their baby socks, put them on their hands. I have some great pictures of the boy with... And the socks will probably stay on their hands better than they will on their feet. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other thing I do remember is that, that they trim easier and they, they file away easier after a bath, after they've gotten soaked. So that's a good, there we that, go. And I do believe, I do believe mom did it several times while they were asleep. That's smart. All right. There you go. The next topic we've got tonight is kind of how to, how to get them to, you know, do their own nails sort of thing. So we talked, we, the last episode, we talked about play think and, and Nick, you talked about how Indy had kind of branched out on his own and, and gotten his own, uh, gotten, yep. gotten sort of eliminated some of that separation anxiety that he'd had. So I was thinking about that. Actually, we're getting ready to start a farm market at my church. And my son, uh, Duncan, has been making sourdough bread for a few years. His brother, Tristan, has been doing it with him since 2017. Duncan's doing it alone the last couple of years. And so I, I was talking to him about doing it. I assumed he was not going to continue this year, but he decided he wants to. But he, he tells me um, that he's, he's afraid of doing it by himself, being at the, at the booth by himself. He says, because I'm no good at organizing. And that just, that just hit me in, in the heart. Cause mm. I feel like, you know, it's, it's, uh, the next step I think, but it's fostering that independence and the creativity and especially how do you get them to try things when they might fail? Cause it's, it's hard as a parent to, to send your kid out there to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, first Duncan, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> Do it now anyway, when you, when, while you're not paying rent and don't have other responsibilities uh, of a financial nature. He makes good money when he sells bread, by the way. Oh yeah, no doubt. And I I struggle with that. So it's going to be really hard for me to teach my kids that, but 
the I'm no good at this. Well, for me, it started out as, you know, one of the things drawing. You know, I'm no good at drawing. People say that all the time. Well, you're no good at drawing. Do you draw? No. That's why. If you draw, even the best artists, they practice. Everyone says, oh, I got so much talent. No, that artist practiced. You know, there is a certain level of creativity that is in people's genetics um, in their head. But the actual physical technique of these things takes practice. You just have to do it. I can't go front side on a skateboard. I mean, it's full pucker for a front. Anything turning front side with your chest towards the coping scares the living shit out of me. And has for 30 years because I don't do it because it scares me. If you're not good at something, but you need to do it or you need to be better at it, you have to practice. You have to do it. That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, that's, and I think that's a, that's a really great insight. I mean, I think when you're trying to teach your kids, and this is like a comedy, what you're talking about is kind of risk-taking and grit and creativity. I think, you know, some of this comes down to what all parenting is, which is, you know, part of it is demonstrating it yourself. Part of it is modeling. Part of it is, you know, showing in your own life where you took a risk and maybe it didn't work out, but you learned something, which you know, <laughs> um, I've certainly told my kids, you know, plenty of stories in my life where, you know, I took a risk. It maybe didn't work out, but it taught me something that led me to the next thing. And I think that's a really valuable vulnerability to show to your kids when you failed and then found something that you learned that led you to something new. So part of it is modeling. The other part of it is, is, you know, positive reinforcement. When you see those behaviors show up and your kids are taking a risk and they're doing something that, that, that may even result in failure, you know, that's where you've got to be, you know, yep. with the encouragement and with the positive reinforcement, you know, because kids are, it's so tough as a, as a kid to take a risk it's even harder than it is for us and when you see it it's just it's beautiful because it's just pure courage you know it's just pure courage when you see your kid do something like that and so you just have to know i've got to be super present in that moment to totally reinforce that behavior so you model it you 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 back it up when you see it and you know Here's the other thing that you'll hear more of the bad stuff. You'll hear all the bad stuff as a parent. So a kid has failed and you're going to hear every detail of why this was a horrible, terrible, awful. That's your job as the parent. And the one thing you've got to know is as you're hearing that, that on the other side, there's, there's another side of that argument happening in that kid's head. They're only going to give you the bad part. And when they're through dumping all that on you 
and you now feel like, oh my God, this was a total tragedy. This is all bad. On the other side of that, that kid has left it with you. And on the other side of it, they've dumped that. That's the way that they've dealt with it. And they're on to the positive. So don't take all of that offload. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't take all of that offload on its face value. Well, in, in fact, that's almost exactly what you talked about when you talked about the first field hockey game, right? Um, mm. Your daughter, she, she talked about how she messed up in, in some things, but, but you spun that in our conversation about how, you know, how great was it to be back on the field for the first time and all that. Yeah. How, how do sports work out? Nick and I don't have kids doing sports. How does, how does that do with, with failure? I guess one thing that I was thinking about with that is it, it seems like your kids generally have been on really successful teams. And I wonder, I mean, just, just from, you know, from, from our perspective anyway, I wonder how much, how much risk-taking happens with kids who are on perpetually successful teams. You know, the, the kids that are on the team that beats up every other team in soccer or basketball, you know, the, the team that's made up of the tallest kids, the biggest kids, the oldest kids. I wonder how much they actually learn about being maybe an entrepreneur or how to take risks because they're not taking a risk. You know, they're, they're on an easy path. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder how that works out. Well, you know, the irony of that, Ben, I, you know, it's so funny because what you see on social media may feel like, you know, success after, after success, after success. Sure. But the, the real truth of, of my kids' athletic experience is that they, they play for a school that's they're the Our school is the bottom of the conference that they play in. Really? And they struggle to, you know, win against bigger schools. And so typically my kids have, have they, they, they've had as athletes an underdog experience that they're always the team that's not expected to win. And, you know, I've thought about that as, a, you know, there are schools where the expectation is 100%, you're going to win and you dominate and you win all the games and you're part of this tradition. And um, that teaches a certain value. And, you know, other, you know, other sports, you know, create a different, experience, you know, where you struggle and you, you aren't always the winning team. And that's, that's the experience that my kids had. And I think it does teach some of these lessons about resilience and grit. And then when you finally get a win against the team, that's always the best. It's fantastic. And my daughter had, had it's amazing then because they've, they've gone through this and they've struggled to get, you know, as far as they have, but they've continued into college to do the same thing. All three of them played, played sports. Well, I mean, well, Cooper two, hasn't yet. Yeah, my, my oldest two went on to play college sports. But again, you know, it was a struggle. You yeah. know, my son played at Coast Guard. Coast Guard, you know, it struggles because of what they're doing in the military to be ready to compete against some of the teams that don't have to be away training on a cutter all summer and they're practicing their sport. And so, you know, Coast Guard Academy soccer, it's kind of middle, middle of the pack struggle. And he struggled to find his place on the team too. Didn't get a ton of minutes just, you know, and, but, but, but found a significant experience there. My daughter, you know, the college that she goes to kind of middle of the pack, 
There are some dominant teams that win everything every year in her conference. And, you know, I think that struggle that, that athletics has been, that their story is not one of leading the championship parade. Their, their experience in athletics is I've showed up every day. I've worked really hard. I've, I've, I've found a team. Sometimes we have adversity. Sometimes we, we find success. And so for us, it's been a good way to understand what life is a little bit like. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that's a great metaphor for, for my experience. So certainly, you know, in, um, you guys know, you guys experienced the food truck. And there were days where we sold $30, $40 in pizza. And, you know, I'm paying, I'm paying out $400 a, a, a day for my people. So I'm, you know, losing almost $500 in the end uh, on a day when, when it rains, but we showed up and, and uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's such an important lesson and it's very, very difficult to do in, to teach that as an elementary school you know, or, or grade school aged kid, because it's so easy to say, ah, we don't need to go to, <laughs> we don't need to go to the parade because it's raining or we, you know, all these, all these activities that are going on. Yeah. And so I, I sure hope my kids understand that we do things because it's important to show up and uh, failure, you know, failure is <laughs> in a lot of ways, failure is, is the best lesson you don't learn as much when you succeed because you, you never know what it was that made it successful. You always know right. what and made it fail. Correct. And success is there's, there's a lot of chance to it all. There's a window of timing, current events can affect it. You know, like you said, the weather, anything is particularly in that, in that type of business in the, in a market business, you know, um, it's, it's scary when that's all, then that's when that's all you're doing. But as far as him, you know, organizing, I would recommend tell him, you know, you know, you, you've done it just, you know, yeah. it's, there's not that much to organizing a show. Uh, well, know? honestly, what, this, 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 and this, make sure you have these things and you're good to go. And, and we'll worry about the other side of it. You know, the unforeseen things as they come. Well, luckily for him, he can medically fix his organizational skills because he's ADHD. He mm -hmm. can, he can take some Ritalin at lunch and, and uh, be all good for, for another <laughs> eight hours. So, uh, so that's good. But, and I don't think he, he often realizes just how different that makes it for him. And, and so I think he'll, right. he'll get a hand up, but he, uh, this will be, this will be an interesting experience for him. I'm going to be mar managing the market when I've been there to, to stand over their shoulders this last few years. So we'll see. It'll be, it'll be an interesting experience. And, uh, you got it, Duncan, you can do it at the very worst. He'll, he'll sell a little bit of bread and decide it's not worth it and I'll stop. And that's not a big deal. So he tried, he's actually, he's actually right. kind of famous for his bread on our Island. So, so that's kind of fun. Right. I think he's learning incredible stuff. Yep. All right. The next thing is, is sort of related internet wisdom, especially from, I, I'm going to say that it, it really comes from, from our generation, from Gen X a bit, but also from baby boomers 
is, is this wisdom that your kids are best served by letting them roam free and not come back until the dinner bell or until the, the automatic lights come on in the streets and all that. Is that really the best way to have your kids run all summer? I don't know. I did. I, I totally had the run of the neighborhood. I could go anywhere, do anything I wanted as long as I was home at like seven o'clock. And as a kid, I wasn't really afraid of anything. As a dad, it absolutely terrifies me. Now, I did live quite a bit further out in the suburbs. I live a little more in the city now. It's not quite, you know, it's not downtown or anything, but there are some very busy streets very close to my house, high speed. (laughs) And our particular street does not, it's a very wide street, but it does not have sidewalks some of the other blocks around our neighborhood do. So there's that. There's just that one safety measure. I'm comfortable letting my my 13-year-old, he runs with his his neighbor kids, his friends. They take their dogs out for walks and things and and they kind of can go where they want. And I don't particularly worry about them. I don't feel like I live in a bad neighborhood. There are places that I don't want them to go that are known. There's a Circle K down this, you know, a couple of blocks away that like you do not go to the Circle K for any reason whatsoever, ever. There have been far too many robberies and stabbings and everything else there. It, just in the last year, let alone, the la- you know, the three years that we've been here, four years. So, yeah, I, there, there are places they, they are not allowed to go. My six-year-old has not too long ago went on little adventures of her own by herself in the dark we were home we did not know she left the house and didn't know she was gone until a neighbor brought her home they came over and said hey we just want to let you know she's over here with us at our little bonfire they had a little fire pit so she went and walked around the entire block in the dark and ended up crashing their little gathering in their backyard we got really good neighbors and they're like, yeah, she's over here. She's having a s'more. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> and they thought she had just come out the backyard and saw that the, there was a fire over here at the fire pit and all her neighbor friends were there. Um, you know, our, they know each other. And so she just went over and crashed their party and they have a, a little grandson. So that's like four, a little younger than her. So went over and just but didn't know the full story about how she had gone all the way around the block before she got to that point. So that absolutely terrified us. And then a few days later, she did it again. She got lost, did not go the normal route that we do. And when we go for a walk or a bike ride and saw a mom pull into her driveway and was going into her house and said, Hey, excuse me, I'm lost. Can you help me get home? That neighbor brought her home. And she had crossed one of those major streets. So, you know, we're we're absolutely terrified. And my wife slept on the couch for like three months downstairs just to make sure that the little one didn't go out Hmm. in the morning or at night after everybody went to bed. Hmm. Um, I mean, it, it was absolutely terrifying. And again, not a bad neighborhood, I don't think. But 
I, I worry that just, you know, the wrong person didn't see this six-year-old trucking along on her own and just, you know, the whole obvious fear of somebody snatching her up. I realize that doesn't happen very often, but I don't want to be the parent to experience that. I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And that, so I don't know that it's the best thing for them. I love, absolutely love that she is that confident in herself and in her surroundings that she was comfortable doing that. I do like that. On the other hand, yeah, you don't even get to go out on the porch without us right now, girl. Uh, (laughs) You're like 18 because that was not cool at all. I can't even imagine. Oh my God, dude. It, it, uh, it, It was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And, but I also get it. I mean, there's a couple of parks two blocks away. I would love to be able to get out of the house, go to play at the park. Don't go anywhere else. Go to the park, swing, slide, then come home. You know, I would love to be able to do that. And we are just not there yet. And I think I will get there before Alice does. <laughs> She's not even ready to let the boy, the 13-year-old, watch the six-year-old for 20 minutes while I go get gas for the lawnmower, <laughs> you know, she's like, Nope, you gotta take her with you. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, Clay, you've, you've got kind of a, a different environment though. You've got a, a, a gated. Well, gated yeah. I mean, we've, we've Kansas. always, I mean, the, the thing is that human beings in general are not good at assessing risk. We're just not, we get distracted <laughs> by, I mean, there's plenty of clinical studies that show that human beings are just bad at assessing what really is. And geez, having gone through the last year, you know, we've also seen some thing, we've seen our neighbors, you know, making these assessments of risk that that seem out of line with what the scientific or objective reality is. And that's just a that's just a human thing, right? So if you look at what the risks are to children, the risks are cars pools and guns. This is what is risky to children in America. Most of the injuries and deaths to children happen because they're not properly secured in the car. So the first thing, you know, if you're really worried about the safety of your kid, make sure they've got a good car seat. They're properly buckled in every time you get underway in the car. Don't drive when you're you're in any way incapacitated. The second thing is pools. Make sure your pool is secure. Um, because this is, you know, drowning is one of the biggest risks to, to young children. You know, there's guns. If you if you choose to have a gun in your household, make sure that it's secured. And, and it, you know, it's not possible. I saw a story today where that two-year-old uh, shot her parents and was injured by the recoil of the gun herself. And everybody went to the hospital. So, you know, if you do those things, if you, if you make sure that you're careful um, with the automobile, your pool is secure and your guns are secure, you know, you've taken care of the biggest risks to your kids. So, you know, then you get to this notion of free range, which is, you know, an interesting idea that was first floated by Lenore Skenazi, I think her name is, who published a book back when we were doing, you know, dad labs called Free Range Kids. And she really floated this idea that, you know, maybe it's better for our, you know, carefully controlled, helicopter parented, overcooked kids to get some time on their own out in the world. And I don't know whether that's the popular sentiment right now or not, 
what I know is that it seems to me that there is some linkage between that idea and privilege. That if you, for better or for worse, if you live in a nice neighborhood, you are you you feel like you're secure. You're in a a place where it's possible to let the kids go roam free. Yeah, that's what's best for kids. But that's only possible if you have a certain set of circumstances. So, you know, I, I think personally, free range kids are an amazing thing. And my wife and I made the choice to raise our kids on a 400 acre boarding school campus so that they could fucking grow up like feral fucking (laughs) hogs. Like they're out there doing shit. I don't even know. They're dragging garbage into the yard that they found on some trail and making it into a wagon and they're building forts and they're filthy and they're, they probably should be gifted bleach every day when they get home. You know, we, we very, we were very proud that we had, brought them and and kind of recreated what felt to us like this very throwback childhood where they could just disappear, you know, for a day and that would be okay. And they would show up filthy and bloody (laughs) and someone had gotten in a fight with someone else and we'd kind of hose them down, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's how it felt. Although we were constantly we were constantly worried, but ultimately that is a, that's a pretty big freaking privilege right there. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah. while I feel like I want to espouse, you know, that it's so linked that, you know, I think, I think the most humane thing to say is create whatever opportunities for space for your kids that you can, that you're able to given your circumstances. And know that kids grow in those empty spaces, in those spaces where they're, and and that can have, that can look like a lot of different things. A free range can, can, can be small. It can be large. You know, you, you create those opportunities as, as you can. So it could be a community center. So it may not be your neighborhood, but, but it could be the family goes to a community center, a church, you know, uh, YMCA everybody can sort of go their own way and, you know, kids can play pickup basketball or whatever, whatever they want. I think that's a great point. I mean, anytime that kids feel like they're in their own world, you know, and, and kids are very resourceful about creating that. That's what free range, free range can be, you know, for kids, any moment where they feel like their imagination and their world is unbounded is not restricted. And yeah. I think that's what I liked about kids commons. Nick, you came up to Columbus yeah. when we were there and kids commons, there's one door, there's no other way out. So if the parents can, can guard that door, the kids can go anywhere through there and they can do, they can do science, but they could just play with, with these games that are out. They can do the bubble room and, and it's small enough that you don't feel like anybody's going to get to your kids that isn't seen by everybody. So. And it was small enough that if absolutely necessary, you could yell your kid's name and they would be hurt. You would be heard everywhere in that building. Yeah. And, and that's true of across the street at the commons too, with that yeah. big climber going up to the three stories. Yeah, that's, that's true. It seems like a great environment for that. 
I'll say one, one other sort of philosophical thing, which is that your as a parent, your worry is a boundary. You just have to be mindful that your worry is a boundary. And you sometimes have to let your kids play free range outside the boundary of your worry. And if they're always aware of your worry, they don't feel free. So there has to be some time you have to find a way in the way that you're communicating with them in what you're doing in your own world to give them some freedom from your worry. Does that make sense? I, I think that sounds yeah. really weird, but yeah. ultimately your worry is a boundary and for them to be free range, it's not about the physical space. It's like I'm outside for a moment and free of all the fears and concerns that my parents have for me and whatever that, that that's not necessarily physical space. It, it, it can sometimes be a psychological space. I'll add to that with, you know, your worry is a boundary. I think there, there, there comes an age. It's probably eight, nine where, okay. You're worried that they're being crazy over on the, the playground or whatever, and that they're going to get hurt. Okay. So, but you don't want them to not play. It's like, okay. So then for my neurosis, it's okay. Let's take it the next step. What do you do when you get hurt? Give them the preparation for that. You know, it's not going to be, I told you so. It's going to be, Hey, I got hurt or someone got hurt. I need to get help or whatever, you know, so that they're prepared for that rare outcome or that outcome that I'm so scared about, they need to be prepared for it. You can't do that with a six-year-old, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not going to hold that in their head. Well, they, apparently they, she did okay. She, she really <laughs> did. And I, I made her, I'm like, wait, cause she was telling this story and it wasn't meshing with what our neighbor was telling us. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's go take me on your adventure. And we went and we walked and the further we walked away from the house, the more I walked around the neighborhood like this going, Oh my gosh, rubbing my, my temples going, Holy shit, Holy shit, Holy shit. And you know, she was telling me things as she was walking. Yeah. I saw two guys there and I just said, hi, how are you doing? And she kept walking and I'm like, Oh God. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, we saw people in the uh, backyard cause she came up the alleyway and they were sitting in the backyard and the the mom I, I clearly the mom sitting there said yeah i saw her earlier i said yeah she's taking me on her adventure she went her solo adventure she's walking me into she's like oh, okay and the girl told me later that yeah oh yeah she she kind of asked hey are you lost and i just kept running because i was running at that point anyway to give them that preparation that it will be okay things might happen don't panic if things happen if bad things happen you know again you know there's stranger danger and all of that but you can't i don't want to put that in my kid's head i don't want it in my head i don't want to put that fear in their head because you don't want them to go through life with that because it's so rare and i don't know it's yeah this is going to bug me tonight for after after we're done here (laughs) this is going to bug me so what brought this up in my mind was duncan again Two times in the last, uh, I'm going to say a month, he's wanted to, he says, okay, I want to go for a bike ride. I'm going to go for a bike ride after school. Like, okay, well, you need to stay 
you know, it used to be just on our block and now we'll let him go a little bit, but we've got some really narrow, fast moving traffic streets that you would not be able to avoid getting hit and you would end up in a ditch and nobody might find you, you know, if, if, so if he broke his leg, he may never get heard if he screams out for help or any of that sort of stuff. He has fallen on his bike and not had his phone to call us because he just didn't think about taking it with, he takes it everywhere. But for some reason, when he goes on his bike and he gets in a wreck, he doesn't take his phone with him. But it just happened that Deborah was, was about half a block away driving off to something and she saw him and, and was able to get, get him. So he wants to ride and he's like, well, you won't let me cross church, but I really want to go to, there's an elementary school that's just on the other side of that road. And I'm like, well, why, you know, why do you want, it's, it's an elementary, it's the lower elementary school. So they've got kiddie playground. It's not nothing fun to, to do there. Why do you want to do that? Well, I just want to go there. Well, Duncan, you know, just don't go there. You know, there are other places to go. Or if you want to go there, I'll drive you. Well, I no, he says. And both of these times we uncover that he has told somebody at school that he will meet her. It's always a girl and not the <laughs> same girl. Meet her at this playground, you know, that's, that's uh half a mile, three quarter of a mile away, but he'd have to ride his bike on a dirt road and with, with very rural ditches. And he would have to cross this really busy, narrow street with lots of potholes in it. It would be a rough ride. And I'm like, okay, so if you want to go there, I will take you. I don't have a problem with you doing this, but you, you're not going to ride your bike and have this risk of, of getting there. I'm like, so, so I'll drive you. When do you need to be there? I don't know, he says. So I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's hiding this from me. I, I honestly believe that he thinks he's going to meet her there, you know, whatever girl this is, you know, it's been two different ones so far. And yeah, it's, it's bizarre, but it also turns out that he's going to meet her there while school's going for that school. And like I said, this is the kindergarten through second grade school. And so he's going to go meet a girl at their playground while school's in session, actually probably during the pickup time. We're, we're trying to figure out what's going on with that, but, but well, I, man, he's, he's in middle school. Doesn't, doesn't the elementary school get out before middle school? No, no. And he's, and he's in middle school. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah he gets out first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. So it's, it's, it's bizarre and, and it's hard to unpack. And I, part of it, I wonder is, you know, have we, have we given him this rigid structure that he can't do stuff that he feels like he needs to hide it? and all that right. is he embarrassed that he's going to go see a girl it, but none of these things you know and then and then it gets to is it illicit is the thing that he's <laughs> going there to do something that we wouldn't approve of and i can't imagine what that would be and and so i don't i, I don't think that's it but the more elusive he is with this the more i think uh what is going on so i would also say like kids get to have secrets and they get to have their own secret life and they do that's part of being a kid you know and yeah. i think there's a you know there's a very interesting like again talking about free range free range is also about you know getting to have your own secret life and that independence yeah, that they don't want, and that starts to happen when they're little, you know, that they have their own <laughs> language and they have their own 
codes and they've got their own clubs and they're off in the woods and they're building a fort. You know, all of that is about learning who you are and developing your sense of self. So, you know, I think that's, that's key developmentally. And that I think it's one of the bigger and, and it, it's a, it's a conversation that's been greatly intensified in the digital age, you know, as your kids, you know, grow up, how much privacy are they permitted to have? And, and so this free range debate is one that's not only about, Hey, do the kids get to ride their bicycles in the neighborhood? It's also about, do they get to have their own device and do they get to have, you know, ownership of that device and what are the conditions in which you look at that device? I mean, all of this is, is related in terms of the free range parenting conversation. And, you know, in my opinion, that it's that kids need that, but that is a privilege. And if they show that they're not, not able to manage, you know, that free range, that's where we step in. But prior restraint, I, I don't think is the best approach when it comes to that. Yeah, it's a tough one. You, you got to do what works for you, your family. And, you know, you know your kid better than anybody else and, and your environment. Sometimes, sometimes you wonder, though, don't you? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> crazy. I mean, I think parents that want, if you really think you can control all of this, and you can really own and manage all of this. And you can prevent every danger from ever approaching your kid. You are living in a dream world. You're living yep. in a, a counterfactual dream world that you just, I just don't even know what to say to you. The world is so complicated and, and you have no idea ultimately where the risks and rewards for your kids are going to come from but your belief that you can control it is nuts you're crazy <laughs> if you think you're going to learn that's right you're going to learn you're going to figure that out and it's going to it, hopefully it won't be painful when you figure it out and your kids are here to teach you that you are not in charge <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and, and so is that puppy oh man <laughs> thanks to the Nichols, Dawson and Fote families for giving us all these topics to share Ask Dad Labs is produced and edited by me Ben Fote and Fote Media Productions LLC like, follow, subscribe, and share across the social media landscape wherever you find Dad Labs. Talk to you next time.